0: So uh, I am going to use some of this time for some self-promotion. I'm going to brag on my family. I got some pictures here I want to show you. Look at that. What a beautiful family, right? I got a couple more. Let's see. See, that could be like one of those stock photos in any frame, at any store. That's amazing, right? Oh, wait. No, no, not that one. Oh, wait. Sorry. Sorry. Just obviously, you know, a couple of stage pictures and then the reality of having children. But it's just a joke. I do love most of my children. (laughs) So what I'm going to talk to you guys about today is trying to find your focus. And I hope that you walk away with two things today. First off, that you know no matter where you're at in your walk with Christ, whether you're a new Christian, you're a longtime believer, or you've yet to make that step of faith, You're going to encounter troubles in life. There's going to be seasons of storms, trials, tribulations that are going to happen. But the second thing I hope you walk away with is that if we can focus on Christ and we can keep our eyes on him through those times, we'll come out on the other side of those troubles stronger for having been in them. Now I'm going to do that today by talking to you about Job. So I'm going to give you a little backstory here, tell you a little bit about him, and Job was no stranger to troubles. He encountered a lot in his life. He, if you talk about where he came from, current day Saudi Arabia, kind of the northern corner near the Red Sea, he was a businessman in that area. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels. He owned 500 oxen and 500 asses. Now it's okay. It says it in the Bible. Pastor Tim has said it. And if you have any complaints, send them to chris at waterschurch.org. It's fine. (laughs) But he had all those things. Now, why did he need all of that? Why was all of that important? Well, it shows how great he was. You know, it says that he was one of the greatest men in the East. And we know that the Bible tells us, how did he get there? Well, the sheep would have been used for wool, for meat, for milk, all sorts of things the livestock would have been used to plow the fields. It was a fertile land, and he would have been able to take those crops and using the camels, send those all over the Middle East. So he was known everywhere because he was constantly taking things in and out, kind of the shipping and receiving of the time. But it wasn't just his business that made him great. He had a great family. He had seven sons and three daughters, big family, lots of kids. But one thing that really stuck out to me when I was doing some research is that In a time that was, you know, part of your status was polygamy. You know, how many wives do you have? Because it's, I've got all these sheep, I've got all this livestock, all this land, but how many wives do you have? That added to your stature. In this time, Job was a monogamist. One wife for his whole life, all those children with one wife. That's really impressive for that time that he sought, that he knew that that one-on-one relationship with her was part of his stature, his stature with God. We see that he was a blameless and upright man, which not sinless, but we, you know, we know we all have sin in our lives, but he was blameless. So if, if something went wrong in one of those shipping times, he was sending some wool out on one of his camels and something went missing, nobody looked at Job. They thought, you know, nope, he's blameless, he's upright, it's not his fault, you know, we, something else happened because he's blameless. We also see God talk specifically about the righteousness of Job in Ezekiel 14, 14. It says, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, they could save only themselves by their righteousness, declares the sovereign Lord. So he's talking there specifically about these evil men in an evil time. And he's saying, there's no way that these guys could ever save themselves because they're way too evil. And that town is just riddled with evil. The only way you could save yourself, if you were as righteous as Daniel and Noah, which I got to say, if you're talking about righteousness, that's some pretty good company to be in. So if you're those and then Job. So we know not only is he a great man through business, a great family man, but he's also a great man in the eyes of the Lord, which is key and important. So if you'd get your Bibles out, we're going to turn to Job 1, 6 through 12. Get out your, your Bible, your smartphone, however you have to get there, and then stand up for the reading of, word, of God's Word. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has? But if you stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for another opportunity to gather together in your house, to just gather together as a family of God and to, to just listen to what you have for us. I hope that you open everybody's eyes, everybody's hearts, everybody's minds to hear what you and the Holy Spirit have to say to us today. I thank you, God, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So I think it's key here that we understand this was a time when the, the, the sons of God, meaning the angels, came together, and Satan was there with them. So he comes and starts talking to God and says, you know, I, and, you know the Bible's the same, yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and I think it's good that we see He asks Satan, where have you been? And he says, well, I've been on the earth, going to and fro and up and down it, which means that's still happening today. That's why we have the evil we have in the world. People always like to use Job as an example of why the bad things happen to good people. Well, that's an easy sermon to preach. Why do bad things happen to good people? Because Satan walks to and fro in this world and wreaks havoc on it. Sins in this world, sin causes evil, end of the story. So what we need to understand is that's what's happening today. He's still here, he's still doing that. And he says, you know, what have you considered Job? And he's like, well, of course, you've got him protected. Take away that protection, and he's going to curse you. So that's what we're about to see happen. Job's at home. He's, you know, doing his normal day-to-day business, and a servant comes in and says, I was just out in the fields, and a group of people came through. They stole all of your camels and killed your servants. So there's some things that he has to wrap his head around here. He's thinking, okay, well, now for my business... I've lost all of those camels, so how am I going to ship anything? So he's, obviously, as a businessman, he's going to be thinking about that. But then also, these servants were people that he had grown up. You know, these aren't people that he had for just a few months or a year. Like, from the time that they were young, they've grown in his family. So he has a relationship with those servants that he just lost. While he's trying to process all this, another servant comes and says, I was out in the fields. All of your livestock have been taken away and all those servants killed. So now it's like the double, like, okay, now I can't, do my fields. I've got more friends, more people I know missing. He's trying to rattle around this and another servant shows up and says, oh, and all your sheep have been taken away and your servants are killed. So now all of his servants are gone. All of his livestock's gone. Everything that he had to make any money, all of his friends and people that could have helped him rebuild his business are gone. So as he's trying to rationalize all this, figure out what he's going to do, another servant shows up and says, All of your children were in the older brother's house having a feast, and a mighty wind came through, blew the house down, and killed them all. To even think about losing one child is just mind-boggling to me. But to lose 10 at once, after you're already trying to figure out how you just lost everything you've ever had, all of your servants and friends, and now your children are gone? This wasn't enough, though. So Satan went back, because in that whole thing, Job did not sin by cursing God. He was upset. He dropped to his knees and said, you know, I came into this world naked. I go out. And he was, I had nothing coming in. I have nothing going out. And he praised God in that time because of what he did have at some point. So Satan goes back and says, well, of course, of course he didn't curse you. He's still healthy. Take away his health and see what happens. So God says, go ahead. Don't kill him, but take away his health. So Have any of you ever gotten like a new pair of like peep toe pumps? You guys know what I'm talking about, right? And you wear them and they're not quite the right size and you walk and they rub on the back of your heel and you get that blister and then you go home, you take those off and you put on a pair of slippers thinking it's gonna help, but it doesn't. It still hurts every time something touches it. Well, Satan cursed Job from the soles of his feet to the top of his head with sores. So bad, in fact, that Job took a broken piece of pottery to scrape And try to scrape away the sores that he had. So he's trying to plan funerals for 10 children and probably some of his friends, and all of his servants are gone. And he's trying to wrestle with all that while also being infected with those sores from top to bottom. So when you think like, oh man, I've got this going on, I've got that, it just keeps piling on top of Job. And he continues to praise God and all this. At one point, even his wife turns to him and says, would you just you know, curse God and die? And he says, no, what are you, foolish? Am I going to curse God when he does bad things but praise him when he does good things? Like, I'm sticking by him. Now, if we look at Job 2, 9 through 13, we're going to find out how we can find our focus. It says, when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from their own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. And they made an appointment together to come and show him sympathy and comfort him. And when they saw him from a distance, they did not recognize him. They raised their voices and wept. They tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads towards heaven. And they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights. And no one spoke a word, for they saw that his suffering was great. Now, these guys didn't just, you know, uh, meet up at the local Starbucks and decide to go see their friend. Like, they had to travel a great distance. Some of them came from northern Saudi Arabia, but some from the south, too. And they had to meet up decide what they were going to do to go visit their friend and then go be with him that tells us one crucial thing job didn't just suffer for a few days or a few weeks he suffered for months with these on because when they showed up he was still in such bad shape they didn't even recognize him so he had been going through the suffering and just like good friends would do they showed up and the first thing they did was just mourn with him they just sat with him on the ground They didn't say anything, and they just wept with him and said, I understand. I just want to be here with you because this is a tough time for you. Unfortunately, that's not where they stopped. They thought, I can fix your problems. Let me just tell you what to focus on and how to fix this. Let me give you some advice. I can fix this for you. So the first friend shows up, and point number one in your notes is, we need to focus on Christ, not on ourselves. So this is Eliphaz. He shows up, and he says in Job 4, Remember, who that was innocent ever perished or were the upright cut off? As I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. So he shows up to Job and he says, "Hey, you know these bad things are happening, but I've never seen anything bad happen to a good person, so you must have done something bad to deserve this." But we know that's not true. We know that God thinks he's a righteous man. We know that he's in the sight of all the people around him, he's a blameless and upright man. So we know that he's not doing those things. But what we also know is that a lot of times the troubles we have in our lives are a result of the sin in our lives. And we need to figure out what those sins are so that we can break down that barrier and fix them. Now, there's only one way to do that, and that's with Jesus Christ. You can't fix them yourselves, even though the world's going to tell you you can. They're going to say, you know, there's, a, there's a, a pill you can take, and it'll get rid of all your problems. You know, you're, you're suffering through this stuff. Here's some medicine. You'll be okay. Or they're going to say, go get a book. And if you go to Barnes & Nobles right now, you'll see there's like aisles of books on self-help. How to be happy. How to be calm. How to be peaceful. How to be prosperous. All these books on how to, how to make yourself a better person. Or they'll tell you, there's a guy you can go talk to. He'll charge you $150 an hour, and he'll fix all your problems. Well, I'm here to tell you, there's a guy you can talk to for free, and he's the only person that can fix your problems. And there's a book, too. It's right here. You don't need a whole bunch of books. There's one, and it's got all your answers. That's all you need, because that book's going to tell you exactly what to fix, and it's going to say you need Jesus to free you from your sin. The hard part is figuring out what our sin is. A lot of times we know. We, We know exactly what's going on in our lives, but sometimes we need Jesus to reveal that to us. And that's the prayer we need to do is tell me what my sin is and help me to get it out of my life. Sin can really shackle you down. I mean, if you have sin in your life, it is like a weight holding you down and you're trying to drag that through life. There's somebody that can break those chains and free you from that bondage, but it's only that one person. It's only Jesus that can do that for you. And if we look... In Ephesians it says for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Before he even created this world, he what he wanted for me and you is to be blameless, upright, happy. He wanted us to be prosperous in life. He doesn't want us to suffer. We will because there's sin in the world, but what he wants is for us to be close to him and in a relationship with him. And he gave us through his son on the cross that ability We just have to reach out and take it and free us from that sin. So that's what Eliphaz shows up. Now, point number two in your notes is that if we focus on Christ, not on blaming others. This is Bildad. So he says, does God pervert justice or does the Almighty pervert the right? If your children have sinned against him, he has delivered them into the hands of their transgression. So he shows up and says, oh, you know, your kids died and that's very terrible. I understand that. But... I think God just kind of gave them what they deserved. You know, they were doing bad things, they were sinning, and they just got delivered. So you can't let, you know, you can't let that bother you. That's just God wreaking his justice on them. But what we know from earlier in the scriptures is that Job was always trying to intercede for his children. After every feast that they had, even if they didn't sin, Job didn't even know what they were doing. He didn't even know if they had sinned. But to make sure he covered his children because he cared about them so much, he made offerings and sacrifices and lifted them up to God to ask that they be freed from whatever they might have done. That's what we need to do for other people because Jesus did it for us. Jesus did the ultimate intercession on our behalf. He came down, died on the cross for us. So if God is willing to do that for us, how much more easier should it be for us to do it for somebody else? Because I'm telling you, sometimes the sins of other people will impact your life. For example, if you have a spouse that's addicted to gambling, that will have an effect on you. You may be doing everything right. You may be living the right life, doing the right things. Everything's going right, but you're still gonna go through troubles because of their sin. You're gonna be financially unsettled. You guys aren't gonna see eye to eye because you don't think they should be doing that and you think they are, and so you're gonna butt heads. Your relationship's not gonna be right It could mess up your credit. Moving forward, you're not gonna be able to buy a house, buy a car, get a phone, any of that stuff because of what someone else has done. But you can't just say, well, you know what? You fix your crap and then maybe someday I can be better. No, what if God had done that? Like you fix your crap and then maybe you can come to heaven. No, he sent us the way out. And we so freely can receive that, we need to be willing to so freely give that to someone else. Now, if it's our loved one, that's easy. You know, of course we're going to pray for our children or our spouse or our friends. Like, I really want you to find Jesus. Find that redemption. Find that freedom you can have in Christ. But what if it's your boss? What if it's somebody you work with? You know, my wife used to work with a woman that almost made it her job every day to try and make my wife miserable. And she would come home with stories. She would be crying, upset because of something she had done. But she also made it a point to never try and, and and speak out or say anything bad about her because she was constantly in prayer that at some point something's going wrong in that woman's life. Something is making her and we know it's sin in her life. She needs to find the redemption of Christ. So my wife knew she needed to be an example to that woman. And that's what we need to do for any of those people that we are interceding on behalf of. Be that example. Pray for them fervently. Don't just walk the walk, but pray for them. They need to find redemption through Christ. You know, if you look at the next scripture, it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I mean, that's it. It's that simple. God did it for the whole world and sent his only son to die on the cross for us. We should be willing to consider other people more important than our own self And and be willing to lift them up in prayer. You know, what does that take? To be a good example and to pray for someone to find that redeeming Christ relationship. It it doesn't take anything. It's not like it's going to hurt you. It's going to build them up. It's going to build you up. And through these hard times, you come out on the other end stronger because of what you've gone through. You've sought God through these times. You've sought him out through trying to help that person. Hopefully, they come out on the other side, you know, knowing Christ and having the relationship. But even more than that, you need to get something from it. Why? You can't let their trials and their troubles and their sin affect your life and come out on the other side empty from it. You need to use that experience to grow in your relationship with Christ. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. He's still with us today. He still lives in us today so that we can seek him out whenever we need him. So that's the second friend. Now we have our third friend show up. And this is point number three. Focus on Christ not on blaming him. So this is when Zophar comes. And in Job 11, it says, but oh, that God would speak and open his lips to you and that he would tell you the secrets of wisdom for he is manifold in understanding. Know then, God exacts less of you than your guilt deserves. So we have people saying, oh, you know, you need to fix your problems. Oh, you know, other people's problems are the issue. Well, this guy comes and says, well, you know, yes, some bad things happened to you, but really God should have done more. You know, you deserve more than that. He should have put more punishment on you. Well, if, if we are going by what we deserve to get from God, none of us deserve heaven. We're all sinners, and none of us deserve heaven. But the grace of God allows us to get that through Jesus Christ. You know, it's hard for us to understand how sweet the grace of God is. Just the free gift of salvation, that grace that God gives us, until we've really felt the bitterness of sin. Now, in this instance, we can do two things. One, we can just blame God. We have these troubles in our lives, and we can just say, God's doing this to me. Why are you doing this? I can't believe, like, what have I done wrong for you to put all this in my life? Or the other thing we can do is we can just sit back and be okay with it. Well, it's God's will. I'll just let him do what he does, and hopefully one of these days he's done with me and and we can move past this. Well, in both of those things, you're making one huge mistake, and that's you're not pulling in closer the only person that can help you. You're either pushing him away, blaming him, or you're just assuming it's what he wants for you in your life. If we look in James, it says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow to change. God doesn't put the evil in your life. You can't blame him. Satan, going to and fro in the world, the evil that's in this world still to this day is what's putting that in your life. And the only way that you're gonna break that cycle and free yourself from that sin is by turning to Jesus. So you can't turn away. This this one hits a little close to home for me. Uh, My oldest daughter, uh, you saw in the picture there, um, when she was seven years old, she actually had necrotic pneumonia. So we took her to the hospital. Um, She was pretty sick. We took her, they investigated her, and said, oh, you know, she looks like she has walking pneumonia. So they sent her back home, and then she got even worse. So we took her back to the hospital, and they immediately took her in, admitted her, took her up to the floor. And I remember a doctor coming in to see her and kind of being unsure, so we brought in a second doctor for a second opinion. And then her blood pressure started to drop. You know, her pulse ox started to drop her heart rate started to drop and she started to go into full toxic shock and a third doctor showed up a fourth a fifth a sixth and after the eighth doctor came into the room i remember looking at my daughter on the bed and thinking well this isn't this isn't good um and i remember thinking you know the doctors looked at me and like are you, are you okay you're alright and I, well there's like 50 years of medical experience in this room the only thing i can do is pray that's it i can't help her i can't go do anything to make her better But Christ can give me the strength to be okay with this. I mean, there was a point where I had to think, maybe my daughter's going to die and wrap my head around that. The only person that could comfort me, comfort my wife, and comfort her was Christ. And she spent the next month in the hospital, you know, oh, we need to remove her lung. No, it's fine. No, we do. Let's give her a chest tube, a second chest tube, a bronchoscopy, and all these different procedures. And we continued to pray. And strangers, friends, family, everybody that we could come in contact with was praying that my daughter would make it through this. And eventually she did. And when I was in that trial, when I was in that storm, all I could focus on was God getting us through that. That's all I could look at. Just get us through this. Help her to be okay and get us through this. But looking back, I realized He had me in that situation for a specific reason. We're going to go through troubles but it's what we do in those troubles that brings us out on the other side. You can't waste it. When we have sin in our lives that wreaks havoc on us, we have to turn to Jesus to make us stronger in those times. Because we, you, you don't want to suffer through all that. I mean, sure, I could have just sat back, watched her, let the doctors do their thing, and in the end, maybe she would have been fine and she would have been okay in the end, but we would have gotten nothing from it. You know, me and my wife now have the ability to tell others about our story, you know, if they're suffering, if they have these issues happening, we can say, well, we've been there. This is what God did for us. And my daughter has an amazing story. I I hear her telling her friends sometimes about the time that Jesus saved her life or the time, you know, Jesus helped her to keep her long. And she has that testimony for the rest of her life because through that storm, she focused on who was getting her through that storm. She didn't just look at it and say, oh, yeah, look at that, you know, I came out on the other side and that I was sick for a while, but now I'm okay. She realized that she was sick, things happened, but now she can be an example to other people through Christ and what he did in her life. Now, this is the point where we have a fourth friend that shows up. Point number four is, focused on Christ, we become stronger. So, originally we had three friends and they all met together, but at some point, Elihu shows up. And we know from the scriptures that he was a younger guy and that he was timid. He was afraid that you know, all this advice was coming from these great men of God that you know, they know the scriptures and they know what they're talking about, so let me listen to what they're saying. But after a while, he got sick of it. And he was like, you, what are you guys doing? Like, none of you are pointing him in the right direction. So what Elihu says is, what if people are bound in chains, held fast by cords of affliction, He tells them that what they have done, that they have sinned arrogantly. And that he makes them listen to correction and commands them to repent of their evil. And if they obey him and serve him, to me, that's like the key part. If you obey and serve him, they will spend the rest of their days in prosperity and years in contentment. We can know what our sin is. You know, God's going to reveal it to us. We can go in, listen to his correction. And he says, this is my commandment to you. But if we don't obey him and repent, we're never going to get to that prosperity. We're going to keep going through that cycle of trouble and trial and trouble. And we're never going to break it because we never get anything from it. We never come out with an experience with Jesus. And that's what he wants for us. Repent of that. Obey and serve me. And you can come out of it. God has that intention for us. If you look in Isaiah, it says, you will be kept in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Because we trust that what God has in store for us is bigger and greater than what sin is doing to us. You know, this is where we need discernment in our lives because people are going to try and send you In different directions. None of these people showed up to try and give Job bad advice. None of them wanted him to not succeed. They wanted him to to come out of this. They wanted him to be okay. They just weren't pointing him where they needed to point him. So if you're ever trying to discern what's good advice, what's bad advice, I've got one quick test for you. Does the advice you're getting point to Jesus? If it does, it's the right advice. If it doesn't, it's not right. I don't care what the advice is, I don't care how good it sounds, if it doesn't point you to Jesus Christ, it's not the right advice. Now, sometimes it's not what you want to hear. You know, let's take somebody who has an addiction. That's not an easy thing to break. And the advice might be, you need to pray for God to set you free from that sin, and you need to stop doing whatever it is. That's not easy, and you don't want to hear that. You want somebody that might be like, "Oh yeah, you need, you know, let's pray, let's go to church, let's try to slowly get out of this." Well, that's that's advice, but it doesn't point you to Jesus to break you from that sin, break those chains of oppression and get you out of that addiction. That's the advice you need because it points directly to Jesus Christ, the only source of freedom in our lives. And we know that if we look at in Job 42, we know that even God knew what advice was good and not good. He says, "After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, He said to Eliphaz the Temanite, my anger burns against you and against your two friends for you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Notice he doesn't mention Elihu. Why? Because Elihu's the one that pointed him to God. He said, you need to figure out your sin, repent from it, obey the Lord, and that's how you get out of this. He went to the ones that were pointing him in all these different directions. Look over here, look over here. Those are the ones whose anger was burning, that God's anger is burning against. And in Colossians it says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. People are going to point you to those $150 an hour people. They're going to point you to medicine. They're going to point you to all these other books. You need the person in your life that's going to point you to Christ. And if we look at our last point, Christ shows us how to be fearless in our troubles, How does he do that? It's because he already did it. This is Palm Sunday, right? If somebody gave you the roadmap to your life and said, if you go this way, you're going to have financial troubles, you're going to have sick children, you're not going to be happy, but this way is going to be the opposite. We're always going to take this way. Well, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He looked forward and he saw he was going to be betrayed, falsely accused, denied, beaten, killed, embarrassed. All these things were going to happen to him. And he walked directly into that storm and defeated those troubles. Why? So that we could have that same thing today. He has that plan for us. He already defeated sin so that we could be freed from it through his blood. It's that simple. If we look at James, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And in Corinthians. But he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in my weakness, insults, and hardships, and persecutions, and difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. Why, when you're weak, are you strong? Because that's when you truly turn to Christ. And truly seek the one person who can free you from that oppression.